The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We are joined by the Minister for Environment, Climate, Communications and Transport, the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, to answer your questions. Uh, this one is from Jerry, a resident in Ridgewood, which is near Dublin Airport. What is your opinion on the health and welfare of residents of Swords and adjoining areas directly affected by the development of the new North Runway at Dublin Airport? Surely turning green is very important, but is the health of communities greatly affected by the noise and fuel fumes not as important. People's lives are being destroyed by this development with no regards to the communities by the DEA. Would you visit to see what's happening? I had a meeting last week with my colleagues, Councillor Ian Carey from Swords and Joe Bryan, TD for the area, and we went into the real detail of what's happening and the listener's correct. The, the flight paths that have been operated have been different to the ones that were originally agreed in the planning permission. There's a whole range of technical complex reasons as to why that's happening. Uh, but with the two runways, op- runways operating, there, there, there are uh, uh, real technical issues around it. But I absolutely believe that uh, you have to adhere by planning conditions. You can't uh, you can't get agreement on one set of rules and then apply in, uh, on a different one. There is a process and a regulatory process where, including in the local authority, there is an official whose responsibility is to oversee and monitor and manage that. And I think, uh, backed by questioning from local uh, representatives, uh, that has to be resolved. But the DA is offering rebates for airlines that run, uh, what I'd say, more cheaper or better fuel. But in reality, if they're looking for 30 million passengers a year going to Dublin Airport, how is that climate friendly? Well, that's a separate question. Um, and there isn't a real issue around aviation. Every, every sector is going to have to play its part in meeting. Sorry, there's loads of aviation questions. What about uh, airlines? What plans are in place to rein in the nation's largest polluter? What about tackling the huge emissions from the industry and the likes of Ryanair? Is the policy to grow airline and tourism, is that climate friendly? No, there will have to be an alternative, a climate solution in aviation as well as every other sector. It's likely that the solution will be in the provision of sustainable aviation fuels. Ryanair know that. I've had several meetings with them where they've set out their thinking in terms of how that's going to be developed. And Sorry, Dr. User, but is that not pie in the sky, this idea of sustainable aviation fuel? The stuff that's been done at the moment would actually use so much crops built at the expense of forestry that you would actually negate any of the benefit and get very little distance in the aircraft on these fuels. You're right. And we have to be careful in the use of any waste oils that we do have, that we do use them in the areas which are hardest to decarbonise. So I expect, come back to what I was saying earlier on, the likes of the haulage sector, I expect that to go towards electric rather than using vast quantities of such waste oils. And we should be using the waste oils we do have in the aviation sector to produce sustainable aviation fuels. But that will only be a stopgap or a certain step in the direction. What we then have to, in this next two, three decades, develop a mechanism where we generate hydrogen using some of the excess renewable power we have, convert that uh, or use that with other chemicals to to create a sustainable aviation, a synthetic uh, sustainable aviation fuel and have a solution which means that, yeah, aviation plays its part. No one can be absolved and no one is separated out. OK, from aviation to agriculture related, can you please ask the Minister if there are any plans to allow farms produce energy from biofuel that could then be sold back to the grid? It reduce the stress on the national grid and also help reduce emissions from traditional farms. And then separately, why are we not giving grants for methane biodigesters on farms? This would reduce the methane going into the atmosphere from farming enterprises. 
we are going to do that. And that last one is probably the most significant, one of the most significant developments coming in agriculture. We've agreed it in the Climate Action Plan. We've agreed with the Department of Agriculture. We're working now on the financial incentives and mechanism, and it'll probably be a combination. It will need uh, possible support, capital supports to get the industry up and running. It needs also a regular guaranteed price so that you know when you're investing that you've got security over 10, 15, 20 years. And it will provide. And in my mind, the real question there is, what type of system? And I think what I, I actually had a meeting last week with some officials in the Department of Agriculture. And what I said in terms of how we designed this, I think it should be continuing to support the family farm system. We shouldn't go towards big industrial type of farming. We should be looking at existing farms, working with neighbours on a collaborative basis. And, and it's a basic I suppose, system where we'll be using some slurry from our animal husbandry, using grass from the same farms and other waste products. And that creates a sustainable way of generating our own grass. And we are going to do that. It will start in the next in the next short number of years, three years. We've got targets for 2025. And I think it's absolutely... And it's an example of where farming's going. The future of farming is going to be green. Like you heard Joe Biden when he came here, he's correct. Green energy, green agriculture, green jobs. That's the future. And the incomes will be in that as well, in the likes of biogas coming from farming systems, in the likes of solar. We're going to see a massive expansion of solar in the farm in the development of other nature-based solutions where you pay farmers for doing the right thing, not on a compulsory basis, not on a naming, shaming, blaming, but actually giving them the incentive and giving them the supports to deliver better water quality, restored biodiversity, as well as high quality food. Yeah, but something else has come up. If you're talking about doing things like potentially reducing the, the herd, the national herd of cattle, are you not then maybe discriminating against the dairy industry, pushing people away from the consumption of dairy products on an environmental basis. And instead, they actually do things like importing almond milk from California, where there is vast amounts of water actually spent in producing the milk and then transporting it over here when we could be using our own nationally made produce instead. One thing I think the environmental movement has learned in the last few years is that if we go down this route as being a moral, a moral test every morning, is that the right milk in the carton? That's an impossible burden to put onto people. You're into really kind of, and, and that won't work in the scale of change we need to make. And so I think our job is to create incentives and to regulate so that at the supply chain, at the start of the, of the supply chain, go back to that oil decision I made earlier, to actually focus on the supply side rather than on the consumer end. And by regulations, make sure that whatever is on sale is sustainable. But turning it into this, have you the right almond milk or is that the right thing in the carton? That's an impossible way to go, in my mind. Okay, listener says, I want to get to the idea of retrofitting. Will you relax house conservation rules? I have an old house that can't be rented because I'm not allowed to change from single glazed sash windows to double glazed. Another one says, I have long since wondered why when the government introduces or increases grants for home energy improvements, they don't monitor and control the prices that contractors charge for those services. It seems the only people benefiting from these grants are the contractors themselves. The current grants are very generous but of little use to those who can't afford the inflated prices. I know we do monitor. The Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland do exactly that. Monitor not just the price and the uh, and how the contractors operate but also the before and after energy performance. And Matt, like 
sometimes you get kind of, you know, you think, God, things are tough and is it working? Is things happening? You look at what's happening in the Irish retrofitting industry at the moment. It's absolutely thriving. The numbers for the first quarter this year are way ahead of expectations. Last year, we blew through all the targets that we've set. People are doing this because it makes sense. It may, And the grants are very generous, like they're really generous, up 50, 80, 100 percent. But they're actually there for a reason, because we want to make this shift. We have to get every single house converted towards being a really well-insulated home. And it is happening. There's about 11,000, 10,000 houses in the first quarter this year. Uh, about 4,500 of them are to a really high B2 energy rating. The solar industry in this country is going gangbusters. Literally, their their phones are hopping because people realise this is actually a good investment, that making your home secure in terms of its energy prices, but, or, or, but also making it comfortable. The more people do it, the more people are going to do it because they see neighbours with a better home. And so actually, the Financial Times last week, big story, UK should follow Ireland in what we're doing in the retrofitting sector. That's what's happening. OK, I'm going to finish by a sceptic putting in a series mm. of questions to you because we have people who don't believe in global warming. And this listener says, I live in the countryside, I've burned briquettes and wood and the air is like spring water, yet my ability to stay warm has been taken away from me. Isn't it true that predictions have been made by those pushing the climate agenda for the last 50 years and not one of them has come true? Isn't it safe to say that the green agenda has absolutely no credibility? The carbon emissions bogeymen have hijacked the important questions of biodiversity and pollution. That's not true. And the vast majority of the Irish people know that. There was a very detailed survey done, uh, a really detailed finding of people's views on climate. I think about three or four percent were sceptical in that way. The vast majority, over 85, 80, 85 percent, saw it as a reality and saw that they had to want to play a role in actually steering. And one of the reasons, go back to what I said about not doing this as a blame, shame or kind of, you know, making this a moral thing. It, it, it'll have to work by being a better system change, that, that we make the leap towards a lower carbon future, which, which, which is a better system, better socially, is a more just transition. But one thing is absolutely certain and clear. Climate change is real. Climate change is happening. Climate change is destroying people's lives, killing people at scale. And if we don't change, that will become a runaway phenomenon which destroys the stable natural world system that we've been, that we depend on, that we live within. And so we can no longer ignore it. This is an urgent crisis that desires all our efforts. And I think in Ireland, I think we're ready. I think the Irish people want to play their part. What they want to know, I mean, programmes like this are useful because they want to know, I think, so what does it actually mean? I don't think people are debating does it exist. They can see it. I can see it. You can see it, Matt. As a kid, you went to school, frost on the ground every second day in winter. When was the last time we saw proper frost in the last few winters? And we can see, I met them, I was at the climate talks last year, the minister from Pakistan was absolutely possessed because she had seen their country completely inundated, 35 million displaced destruction on a scale that we've never seen before. This is real. It's happening. We have to respond. Thank you, Minister Eamon Ryan, for taking the time to join us this evening. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.